said. Amen. It's good to see each one of you here this morning, and of course we miss those that regularly attend and aren't able to be here, but I'm glad most of all to feel the Spirit of our Lord here, and uh, that means that He accepts our worship and incites us to possess the passion that uh, Brother Drew was speaking of earlier. I appreciate your prayers as we look for a little while into the nature of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 20, the nature of God's path to victory. God's path to victory. I'm mindful of what John said in 1 John 5 and verse 4. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We even think about that in terms of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 when he said, We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. As we study together the nature of the Old Testament Scripture, they're always pointing to Christ. They're always teaching us something about the virtue and the ability of Jesus Christ Himself with regard to His covenant people. One of the most fascinating stories in the Old Testament occurs during the kingship of a man named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was one of probably the greatest kings that ruled in ancient Judah. And uh, his name means God or Jehovah is judge. That's what his name means. And God would bless Jehoshaphat to walk in the ways of David, his great-great-great-grandfather. He would, he would walk in the ways of David, who was a man after God's own heart. And Jehoshaphat did a lot of great things for the country. He, he was uh, blessed by God to be one of the wealthiest kings apart from Solomon that Judah would ever know. The expanse of his kingdom would be unrivaled. He would be a believer in strong defense. He would build fortified cities on all of the borders of the nation of Judah. He was blessed in a way to raise up and fund the teaching priests that would go throughout the land of Judah into the very villages of that land and teach the word of God, teach the law of God. He, he was a, a supporter of that. He believed in that. And, and through his reign, there was a great revival occurring in uh, Judah concerning the worship of the true and the living God. But even though he was doing a lot of things right, there would be a time when he would be surrounded. He would be encompassed by people that did not love God, that did not know God, that only had in their hearts a desire to destroy the people of God. This comes at a time in our own national history when we feel as Christians to be completely surrounded at times. Surrounded by atheism. Surrounded by a woke gospel that is no gospel at all. 
a gospel that actually dishonors the Lord Jesus Christ in many ways. We often lament, don't we, over the rise in persecution of our Christian brothers and sisters. The rise of uh, antinomianism in our own ranks, in our own Christian ranks. The idea or the concept that individuals can be born of the Spirit of God and never bear any fruit to that end. We're surrounded by judicial tyranny where we see um, the politicization of, of the CIA and the FBI and, and how they're taking after President Trump. It, it just tears us up. It, it, it uh, causes us to have a lot of anxiety because at times we feel to be surrounded. But I want you to study with me for a little while this morning God's plan for victory in times when His people feel to be surrounded. We know from our reading of 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that there rose up a, a, a great multitude of enemies against Judah from the children of Moab and the children of Ammon. Now we remember that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon are descendants of Lot. And they were always ancient enemies of the people of Israel. And not only they, but also the children of Edom, which are the descendants of Esau. These always had an antagonistic view toward Judah, toward Israel itself. They were always cast in the Bible as enemies of God's people. And what's interesting or intriguing to me is remembering the fact that when God would bring the nation of Israel through the wilderness into the land of Canaan, He told them not to go to war with the children of Ammon or Moab or Edom. Not to, not to overtake them. And at that time, they circumvented those nations in their entry into the land of promise. But now several generations have passed and now they rise up as an army against Judah and they're coming with fierce intent to destroy Judah from off the face of the earth and it's a great multitude in verse uh, 2 we read these words there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea and when it says beyond the sea it's talking about the dead sea it's not talking about the Mediterranean Sea. It's talking about the Dead Sea, uh, the region of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're coming alongside that region on the west side of the Dead Sea. And behold, they be in Hazaz Tamar, which is in Gedi, uh, on the west coast of the Dead Sea. I want you to I want to point out three major points concerning God's plan for victory when his people are surrounded. The first we're going to notice is prayer. The second we're going to notice is prophecy. And the third we're going to understand is praise. 
These are the three things that God has given God's people in order to obtain or achieve victory. The very first thing we see Jehoshaphat doing is going to the Lord in prayer. And not only him, but he's calling his own people, his own nation, to go to prayer. And he, Jehoshaphat feared in verse 3. Jehoshaphat was like you and I. We often have fear. But Jehoshaphat was able to face his fears of the ensuing enemy by praying to God. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. This is very uh, uh, characteristic of God's people during times of battle, during times of conflict, during times of uncertainty, to call upon the nation to fast and to pray before the God of heaven. We read about that in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3, do we not? In Psalm chapter 31, verse 12. But listen to the impact of this prayer. This is so significant. I want us to understand what it means to be praying... For victory, praying to defeat the enemy. And Jehoshaphat and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. They came to call upon the name of the true and the living God and to seek his path to certain victory. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Because remember, Jehoshaphat was blessed of God to do a lot of building. He did a lot of rebuilding and, and renewing. And, and part of that um, work that Jehoshaphat was able to do was to extend the court, uh, the original court of the house that Solomon built that it would encompass what came to be known as the court of women. It was a, a, a very large addition to the court. And here you see all of the, 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 the leaders of the children of Judah come together and they're in this court, this new court. And said, here's the prayer, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Now stop right there. The very first thing we're going to notice about this prayer for victory is it's going to um, reflect the attributes of God. It's going to focus upon God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Aren't you the God that rules from heaven? Aren't you the one who uh, is the judge of all the earth? And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? Don't you rule over this uh, nation of Moab and Ammon and Edom? Aren't you in charge? Yes, he's in charge. And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? You know what he's doing? He's acknowledging God's sovereignty. He's, he's acknowledging God's ability to rule upon the throne of his majesty and uh, do his will. In the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. So he says, Art thou not 
the God who rules sovereignly in heaven. Verse 7, Art thou not our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? What's the next thing that he's going to point out in this prayer? First he starts with God's sovereignty, then he goes to the covenant relationship that God has with the people of Israel. He's going to remind God, as it were, of his covenant blessings upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And part of that covenant blessing was to give them this land that flows with milk and honey. Part of that uh, blessing was that the children of Judah would have victory over the inhabitants of Canaan. You see what he's doing? He's reminding God. Not that God needs reminded, but in the prayer life of a believer, we need to claim those promises. We need to claim them to focus our affections and attention upon what we know about God. Too many people today are seeking to understand the things that are not understandable about God. Seeking to uh, unlock all of the mysteries of the book of Revelation... When in reality, we need to be spending more time in the other 65 books of the Bible. Because what is clearly known of God is what you and I need to trust in during times when we're surrounded by the enemies of truth, the enemies of God. We need to uh, uh, embrace what we know about God and not trade that for what we don't know. So, he says... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to remind you that Abraham was your friend. Abraham is called the friend of God in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8. He is the friend of God. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to name drop here. I'm going to tell you that I'm on Abraham's side in this moment of conflict. Then verses 8 and 9. And they... And they dwelt therein, and built there a sanctuary uh, therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us as the sword, and in judgment, pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then wilt thou hear, and what? And help. You'll not only hear, you'll also help. Aren't you thankful this morning that you have a God in heaven that hears your prayer? That hears your cry for help. And not only that, He is able, more than able, to supply our very needs. So the third thing that He's emphasizing in this prayer is God's presence. And let me hasten to say this morning that when the presence of God is in the midst of His people, they are unconquerable. Amen? That's the very thing that God was teaching Israel all the way from the time when uh, Moses led them out of the land of Egypt. Remember how many times did God remind Israel, I am with you. And when I am with you, no power in heaven or earth or hell is going to conquer you. That's the very thing they learned when they stood by the Red Sea before God opened the Red Sea. Remember, they were surrounded, right? They had the sea in front of them, the mountains on the sides of them, and Pharaoh's armies behind them. They're surrounded. But what did God tell His, uh, his children? 
on that occasion. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still. Be, be quiet before the Lord. And the Lord gave them certain victory. And he repeated that over and over and over again all the way through their history up until this time. So Jehoshaphat is fully acquainted with that. And he's seeking the presence of the Lord. He acknowledges God's sovereignty. He reminds him of his covenant. Then he is seeking the presence, the protective presence of God around his people like a wall of protection. And then in verse 10, he's going to appeal to God's goodness. God's goodness. And now behold the children of Israel, uh, the children of Ammon and uh, Moab and Mount Seir, which is Edom, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade. You know, they had to march around them. Instead of conquering them, they marched around them when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they uh, turned from them and destroyed them not. They destroyed them not. Why? Because of God's goodness toward them. See, Brothers and sisters, we are debtors to God's goodness this morning. I'm telling you, when I, when I think about our own nation, I think about how good God has been to America. And how unthankful and ungrateful we as a people often are. It is God's goodness that leads people to repentance. It's God's goodness that brings about conversion uh, to Jesus Christ. It's God's goodness toward you and I that we have been given a place where God's name is upheld today. It's because of God's goodness that we have any blessing at all to claim. He's going to appeal to God's goodness and not destroying those who deserve to be destroyed. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, based on the authority of the Word of God, that if God does not bring America under severe judgment, He's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to have to apologize to these nations that He completely removed from the earth because of their vile wickedness. We're living in a desperately wicked age of confusion. Confusion about manhood. Confusion about womanhood. Confusion about what it means to be free. Uh, confusion... On every hand, religiously and socially. And it's just because of God's goodness that we still have a nation to live in today. It's God's goodness. And Jehoshaphat is acknowledging that. In verse 11, he's going to acknowledge God's possession of the land. This land, brothers and sisters, belongs to God. Listen to this in verse 11. Behold, I say how they reward us to come and to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. He's acknowledging that God is the owner of all things. Do you? Do you? Are you uh, among those that believe that everything that you have, you deserve? Everything that you have, you've earned? Everything that you have is because of your own merit or your own um, effort. Well, brothers and sisters, you wouldn't have anything today were it not for the goodness and mercy of God toward you. You wouldn't have health. You wouldn't have wealth. You wouldn't have influence. You wouldn't have anything, liberty. You wouldn't have any of that were it not for God's goodness 
to you. He's the possessor of all that we have. All that we have belongs to him. And we need to acknowledge that. Jehoshaphat did that. Remember, I told you he was one of the wealthiest kings that ever lived. And yet he said, all of this silver, all of this gold, all, all of this uh, material blessings, Lord, it belongs to you. And you've just let me use it for a little while. Do you feel that way? I hope so this morning. That's the way Jehoshaphat felt. And it was because of that that God would show him the path to victory. He acknowledged that God is the possessor of all that he had. And then verse 12 is one of my favorite verses. In all of the Old Testament, this is one of my favorite verses. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that comes against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Our eyes are on you. See, the focal of our dependency is on God. It's not on the government. It's not on the political party. It's not on the judges. It's not on armies. It's not on what I have, but it's what you are. And my eyes are upon you. Now that's characteristic of God's people in times of conflict, in times of trouble, in times when they feel surrounded and sometimes even uh, afraid of defeat, uh, going down for the last count, as it were. And what do we do? We cast our eyes upward. That's what the psalmist David said in Psalm chapter 123, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes unto the heaven from which cometh my help. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maid looks to the hand of the mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that He shall have mercy upon us. That's what David said. I, I love that. Don't you love that? Uh, isn't that a, a, a wonderful attitude that we ought to have and we ought to possess today? I think about that in terms of, of many things that David uh, writes in the Psalms. We could go to uh, five or six different uh, uh, Psalms themselves to show that David's confidence was not in himself. You would think that, but it's not. David had learned something through the years through all of the battles that he waged. Do you realize that David never lost a battle? Do you realize that? Do you realize that he, he was not afraid of Goliath? Wouldn't you be? Well, how would you like it if you went to battle, uh, just say a wrestling match, with a man that weighed over a thousand pounds and uh, was nine foot six inches tall? I believe you'd be a little bit afraid. I'm going to confess to you, I think I would be a lot afraid. But David wasn't. And I'll tell you why. According to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47, David said, The battle is not, does not belong to me. The battle belongs to the Lord. I love that. And David is the one that wrote over and over and over again, My eyes are on you, Lord. I'm lifting up my eyes to the hills from whence come my help. I'm looking at you, Lord, because I know that you are sovereign. I'm lifting up my eyes, Lord, because I know you will keep your covenant. I'm looking uh, with my eyes of faith to you, Lord, because I'm seeking your presence, your goodness, 
acknowledging your possession of all things. And I'm acknowledging my dependence upon you. Now, brothers and sisters, before we as a nation forget the Declaration of Independence in 1776, before we forget, because that's not being taught in the public schools anymore, uh, because it acknowledges God. That's why, by the way, that's why. They don't want uh, God's name in the public forum today. And I'm telling you, it's demonic. I'm telling you, it's devilish. I'm telling you, it will ultimately lead to the destruction of this nation. Jehoshaphat followed the example of David. And he says, I want to acknowledge my dependence upon you. Upon the unseen hand. Upon the warriors of heaven itself. The Lord of hosts. The first thing I want to notice in our study this morning is that God's path to victory begins with prayer. That's why I, I so much appreciate the focus of our church on prayer. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to come to God's house and hear His people pray. Because we're acknowledging we need you, Lord. Without you, we can't do anything. Without you, there's not going to be victory. Without you and your help, we're not going to see any success to what we uh, endeavor to do or accomplish. Jehoshaphat was following the example of David. But the second thing we want to notice in this very chapter is the focus on prophecy. God's word. God's word is going to be elevated above the circumstances that they face. Let me say that again. I know I said that too quickly. Brother Cody's looking at me. Say that again, Brother Jeff. Say it again. Jehoshaphat is going to believe God's word. Irrespective of the circumstances around him. God was going to send his word, his prophet, his man, to the very, uh, to the very need. And, 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 and we read about that in verse 14. Then uh, uh, upon Jehaziel, that's the name of the prophet that brought the word of the Lord. He came, uh, the, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came uh, the spirit of the Lord, listen to this, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in the midst of the congregation. Now they're all assembled in this new court. Now you're talking about thousands of people. But God chose to send His Spirit specifically to this one servant. And this one servant is going to speak the word of the Lord to the congregation that is assembled. And he said, verse 15, And he said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, Thus saith the Lord unto you. Now stop right there. He didn't say, I'm going to give my best opinion. I'm going to give my political expertise in this matter. I'm going to bring up the best of the SEAL six trained warriors or rangers. And they're going to get us out of this mess. He wasn't speaking to the generals. He wasn't speaking to the army. He wasn't speaking to the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. 
He wasn't speaking uh, about any of those things providing the solution. The solution is going to be thus saith the Lord. This is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. You can bank on it, brothers and sisters. You can rest your victory upon the word of God. Thus saith the Lord unto you. Very first thing. Be not afraid. As we heard uh, Brother Drew uh, mention this morning. Don't be afraid to tell the, uh, the truth about Jesus Christ in your life. What has He done for you? And what He's doing now. It's not, let's don't be afraid to testify to what God is and what He's done for our soul. Be not afraid or dismayed by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You can underline that in your Bible. I have several times, by the way, in my Bible, just reminding me that no matter how evil and wicked things get in the world around us, God is still upon His throne and His Word is going to stand. Brothers and sisters, that has given me so much rest and peace in days, uh, recent days when I realize how wicked the rulers of this country have become. How evil the courts have become. And how dreadful our judiciary has become. This verse has brought a lot of consolation to me. And I hope it does to you this morning. We're going to trust the prophetic word of God. Here's the word of God that came. The battle's not yours, but it belongs to God. In other words, God is going to defend His name. God is going to defend His integrity. God's going to defend His bride. I'll tell you what, you can push a man. You can push a man a lot of ways in life. But you start pushing his family. You start touching his bride. And you're going to find out that the weakest, physically weakest man will stand up and fight you toe-to-toe. Trust me. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. Verse 16. Uh, Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. Now this is a specific location. This is a, they were actually sneaking up on them. See, see these, these tribes were hiding themselves by the mountains. If you ever go to the Dead Sea, you'll know, the very first thing you'll notice is that there's mountains on the east side of the Dead Sea. They're cliffs. They go straight up three or four hundred feet. And there's a pass that comes around the south end of those mountains, uh, the south end of, of, uh, uh, of the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. And, and what's interesting, when we were there, uh, the, 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 the guide that we had was an Israelite. Uh, uh, he, he, was, he was a Jew, uh, uh, a converted Jew. He's a Christian Jew. And uh, when we came to that part of the Dead Sea, he pointed this out. He says, for some reason, scholars cannot agree why there's such a, uh, such a dense uh, presence of salt and sulfur on this end of the Dead Sea. I just held up my hand 
And he says, I know what you're going to say. He said, they've actually found the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah on the bottom of that part of the, the Dead Sea. That's where God poured out his wrath on those evil people. And brothers and sisters, this was where the enemy was approaching. And by the way, they still are today. They're still approaching through Sodom and Gomorrah. The LGBTQRSTUVXYZ group. I want you to think about the Dead Sea when you think about them. So here they come. They're coming around the south end of the Dead Sea. They're being hidden by the mountains on the left. And then there's the mountains on the right. That's where Masada, by the way. Fort Masada is located up there. And, uh, and they're sneaking up on Jerusalem. They're coming toward Jerusalem. That's what the, it's called to this day. To this day, it's called the Valley of Ziz. And it means cliffs. Ziz. Cliffs. And they're sneaking up. You see, they think they're going to take God's people by surprise. They think they're going to overwhelm God. They think they're going to overthrow truth. They're, they think that they're going to get the victory. Here they come. But God says, I'll tell you where they are. They're right there. And guess what? I want you to go meet them. But wait a minute, we're outnumbered. I want you to go meet them. But wait a minute, they've got more chariots. I want you to go to meet them. They've got more power. They've got more money. They've got more chariots. They've got more horses. They've got more weapons. They've got more and more and more and more and more influence than we do. But God says, that's all right. I want you to go meet them. I want you to go meet them on the battlefield. Listen to the word of God. They're trusting in the word or the promises of God. And um, there they are uh, coming around the cliff of Ziz. And, um, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook uh, before the wilderness of uh, Jeruel. Ye shall not, listen to what God's word is saying. Listen to the prophecy. You shall not need to fight this battle. You, this is not the battle that you're going to fight. This is not the battle that you're going to uh, be a part of. It's not going to be your merit. It's not going to be your wisdom. It's not going to be your influence. No. Set yourselves and stand ye still. And see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. See, that's what I want you to underscore in your Bible. The Lord is with you. If the Lord is with you, there is no power that can overcome you. Even in 2022, can I get a witness? Because He's the same God, right? He hasn't changed. And his word of prophecy has not changed. Brothers and sisters, that's why I'm thankful to be a member of a church that is dedicated not only to prayer, but the teaching of the true word of God. Every minister that comes to this sacred desk is bringing to you not their opinions, but they're bringing to you, uh, well, sometimes we give our opinion, but we try to separate our opinion from what God said. Uh, we try to separate our opinion from what God said. What God said is the final, final word. Amen? Amen? I want to make that sure you understand 
where I'm coming from. Okay, so God, he says, God is with you. God is with you. I love that. Now, the third thing, and I, I know I'm quickly running out of time. Please pray for me as we, we try to get through this. The third point, do you remember what the third point was? Uh, children, do you remember what I said? I said the first one was prayer and the second one was prophecy. What, what did I say the third one was? Uh-huh. Praise. Praise. Watch this. Watch this. I love this part of the story. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat bowed his head. I love that, don't you? With his face to the ground. Now he's in the right place, you see. He, he's not thumping his lapel saying, boy, me and God got it worked out. Me and God's going to take care of this. No, no, he's bowing his face to the very ground. He's humble before the Lord. That's his attitude. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord. Listen to this. What were they doing? Worshiping the Lord. Now, Sister Connie, why were they worshiping the Lord before the battle ever took place? They were worshiping the Lord before they left the city to go meet them in this dangerous place in the cliffs of uh, Zeus. They were, they were there worshiping Him for the victory that they were sure that they were going to experience in that dangerous valley. They were already worshiping God. They, were, they received the Word of God with thanksgiving, with reverence, and with faith. They were believing that God was able to give them victory. That's why. And it produced worship. They were worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, remember, these are the priests, right? These are the priests, the Levites, of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites, stood up to what? To what? To praise. That's, that's it. To praise the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, El Elohim Israel, with a loud voice on high. They were rejoicing in the victory that was surely theirs because of God's word and presence with them. And they arose early in the morning. You know, when you arise early in the morning, that means ordinarily you're looking forward to the day. You know, when people aren't looking forward to the day, it's hard to get them out of bed. Have you ever had children that didn't want to go to school? <laughs> Did you ever have uh, folks in your life that didn't want to take that test that they had to take the next day? It's kind of hard to get them uh, going. But when there's anticipation, when there's joy, when there's passion, it's not hard to get out of bed. That's the way they were. They rose early. This is, this is going to be a great day. They rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa, which is a very dangerous place. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Now Jehoshaphat is with them. He said, Hear me, O Ju uh, Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe Listen to him. Trust. Listen to it. Rely upon. Listen to him. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established. Believe his prophets. That means believe his word. Right? Believe his prophets. So shall ye prosper. 
And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers. Watch this carefully. Uh, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of His holiness. As they went out, and I want you to circle one word in your Bible this morning. Circle the word before. Have you ever noticed it? Sister Connie, did you notice it? Circle the word before. The singers, the choir, went ahead of the soldiers. They went ahead of the chariots. They went ahead of everybody else. The singers were out in front. Have you ever heard of such a strategy in all your born days? You think Napoleon would try some of that? You think King George would try some of that? No, brothers and sisters, this is God's path to victory, not man's. The singers went out ahead of the army. And what were they doing? Praising the Lord. For why? For His mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord. See, what they're doing, they're praising Him for His promise. They're praising Him for His prophecy. They're praising Him for uh, His, uh, his um, um, path to victory. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set embushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and were come against, that were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. God setting ambush, uh, ambushment. I'll tell you what I personally believe. This is 1 Jeff 2.3. I believe that God sent angels into the midst of that huge army and began to fight with one another. Remember there's three different tribes here. There's three different groups here. There's three different cultures here. There's three different uh, uh, types of clothes here. It's hard to tell who's who. You know, talk to some of our soldiers that went to Afghanistan. Tell them, you can't tell who's the Taliban and who's not. They dress exactly the same. You see, uh, each culture has its own clothing, its, its, its own colors. All of these things are, can be very confusing in, in a day of battle. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that God sent ambu ambushments of angels in the midst of that confusion. And they began to fight each other. They began to kill each other. Watch these next verses. Here they are. Uh, verse 23, And the children of Ammon and Moab uh, stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. That, I thought they were uh, conspiring together. They were. But they were fighting against each other on this battlefield, utterly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, the, the, the descendants of uh, Esau, everyone helped to destroy the other one. You see what God's doing? And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. Not one person escaped. Not one person escaped in that battle, and not one sword of the children of Judah was used to defeat the enemy. This is God's path to victory, not men's. No one man 
could take the credit for this victory. This victory was attributed to God himself alone. He's the one that came and gave them victory that day. And that's why it produced praise. Listen, and when Jehoshaphat and his people came and took away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves. This is kind of unsavory, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you just think, but this was God's plan. He stripped this, they stripped off the riches more than they could carry away, and they were three days. <laughs> Can you imagine this, Nick? Can you imagine? Three days they were picking up the gold and the silver, putting it in pockets, you know. There were so many dead. Wow. And they were three days in the gathering of the spoil, and it was so much. Now I want one last point here. <laughs> And on the fourth day, on the day following the gathering of all of this wealth, they assembled themselves together in the valley of Baraka. Baraka is the Hebrew word for blessing. The valley of blessing. That's why I wanted you to see that the valley that they were marching into is known for its danger, is known for uh, known to be a trap. You can be trapped in that valley. And, and by the way, God did trap these enemies in that valley. These are estimated to be over a million souls, a million people were trapped in this dangerous valley. But that very valley became a valley of Baraka, a valley of blessing to the people of God. In the day of the greatest uh, conflict that you'll ever face, I want you to know if uh, you follow the path to God's victory, you're going to experience blessing at the end of that toil, at the end of that conflict, at the end of that battle, at the end of that uh, circumstance. You're going to experience the blessing of the mighty God. See, that's what I believe one of the greatest uh, uh, blessings we have this morning as Christian people is to know how the story ends. We know how the story ends. Jesus Christ is going to win. Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ is going to set all things right. Jesus Christ is going to defeat all of His foes. And the last enemy that is going to be destroyed is death itself. Now, I want to go to my closing text. And most of you will recognize it immediately. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. I'm going to close with this. I know you know it, but I've got to use it. <laughs> when I'm talking about God's path to victory, I cannot not mention the victory that we have in Christ. Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul wrote or reminded the church at Corinth about. He says in verses 57 and 58, But thanks be to God which giveth us, what? The victory, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because we have God's blueprint, because we have God's path to victory through Jesus Christ, because of the valley of Baraka that has been our blessing all the days of our life, 
If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, brothers and sisters, you're sitting in the valley of blessing this morning. Because of the victory that is ours in Christ. Uh, Do you mind reading it out loud with me in verse 58? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah. This is God's path to victory. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you during this day when we're surrounded. I want to encourage you to pray to the Lord for victory. I I, I want to encourage you to study the prophetic word, the word of God and his promise to you. And I want you to be a people of praise and adoration for our great victorious God. Thank you for your good attention. God bless you.